This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I N A C I T Y L I K E Y O U R S dot C O M. For links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, Charlie begins by telling the story of her relationship with a significant other who was addicted to heavy drugs. Then she goes back in time to tell us about her moving from California to Texas at the age of 11 and how that impacted her life. Finally, we discuss her film career with both acting and screenwriting. Here is Charlie's story. Hi, I'm Charlie Marie, and I'm from San Diego. And let's see, a story that has impacted my life greatly. I have so many. I think a major one would be I, my, my son's father. I was dating this guy that I had no idea, you know, the, the depth of the stuff that he was going through at the time. And... I personally, as a kid and growing up, I kind of lived under a rock. Like, I kind of just, I did everything my parents said. I did everything I was supposed to do for school. And I was very motivated in school and just very, that's that's what I cared about. I cared about school and a couple of my friends. And, you know, that was my life. There was never any sort of, you know, drugs or crazy stuff going on. Uh, you know, around me, and the, at least that I knew about, because again, I was kind of oblivious and lived under a rock. So then I met this guy, and he was super witty and charming and great, and I started dating him, and then right around the time we found out that I was pregnant, he told me that he was addicted to drugs, and he had been since he was like 12, and you know, we're in our mid-20s at this point, and so for 12 years he was addicted to drugs and it was just I mean like to me when I first heard him tell me that I thought okay well that's you know not really that big of a deal like you do that on the weekends don't involve me don't involve you know the kids don't do anything with me about it but just you know you can you can stop doing that and I appreciate you telling me that you were doing it before you know every now and then on the weekends or whatever that's how I took it. I had no conception of the fact that, like, it's actually a huge thing and it's a problem and <laughs> it's something that you can't just, like, do on the weekend and then, you know, two weeks later do on the weekend kind of thing, that it affects your entire life, basically. 
I had no idea. So I was like, okay, well, you know, thanks for telling me. And he was like, yeah, I want to get clean because I don't want to, you know, live like this anymore. I want to make sure that I'm good for you and the kids. And I want to make sure that I'm, you know, basically a good person and, and not, you know, not to say that people that do that are bad people, but he was just saying that he wants to make sure that he's back to being, you know, normal and doing things that adults do, like getting a job and doing all that stuff. And so that was his goal. And I was like, okay, good. I support you. I think that's great. You should, you know, go in and go into rehab and, you know, do what you got to do. And I'll be right here. I'll be here waiting for you. And I thought that would be the end of it. Well, unfortunately, it, you know, it completely essentially took over our lives. I never did drugs. I never joined him. I didn't want to. I, I saw how it was destroying him. And it just, it just, it was hurting him constantly, but then he still felt the need to do it. And so he would leave us all the time to go do that. And I was just, it was heartbreaking because I wanted him to be part of our family and not constantly leaving to go do what he felt like he had to do. And so I would get so frustrated and I would just be like, why do you have to keep going and doing that? And it caused a rift between us. But what I didn't know, because I had no experience with this sort of thing was that it actually affects them chemically like it changes the entire way their brain works it's like it's like if you have an extra organ in your body and that organ has now become something that completely is required for the person to live you know and or else their body goes into a sort of shock and like can't handle it basically and I didn't know that so I was pushing him to stop and I was like you can't keep doing this we need you here and so you know we'd argue about that and sometimes he would agree with me and he would be like I don't want to do this anymore and he would break down and cry and just be like I really just don't want to do this anymore I want to be a family man I want to be with you guys and it was really heartbreaking and um, I started reading more about it and I started I reached out I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about the situation because I didn't want him to get in trouble. So I reached out to people that I thought I already knew, you know, his family. And I reached out to them and, you know, we lived far away. They didn't really know what to think of me. They didn't really get to know me that well. So they, they were like, oh, who are you? Like, what do you, like, you know, and they didn't really know how to support the situation. So. I felt alone after that and I was like man how do I manage this what do I do like send him back into you know the, the rehab place that he doesn't want to go and he's like against it you can't force a grown man to do something so I'm like look we got to figure something out so he came to me one day and he was just really down and he's like look I do want to go into rehab, I just, I don't know, you know, I'm scared of the situation, I don't know if they're going to actually help me, and I was like, they will, they will, and I tried to get him to go, and it just, it just got worse and worse and worse, and I got to a point where, you know, we had to move because he, you know, he, he took some of our money and used it for that, and it was like, you know, I knew that that wasn't who he is. Like, underneath it all, he's a great person. But unfortunately, that just took over. And that became, like, his, you know, his everything, basically. And um, and then one day, he came back, and he was gone pretty much all day. 
And he came back and he and I looked at him and he nodded like, yeah, you know, I did that. And I was like, God, like, could you stop? And he was like, actually, yeah, I'm done. That's it. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm staying home. I'm not going to go do that. I, you know, I'm getting a job. I'm taking care of you guys like I should have been the entire time. And that's it. I'm done. And I was like, okay, good, good. And this is, you know, like the third or fourth time that he promised this and that he, you know, was clean for a few weeks and then went back to it. So I'm, I'm saying good, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I really hope he means it this time. And so, you know, then I waited and waited and it was a couple months and he hadn't done anything. He, you know, there were a couple times where he'd confide in me like, gosh, we just drove past that thing and it reminded me of doing it and I want to go, but I'm not going to. You know what? I'm staying strong. I was really proud of him. And it lasted a while. It lasted a few months, like I said. But then eventually, you know, something happened and, you know, somebody in his family said something to him that hurt his feelings and he got emotional and he went back and he went and used again. Finally, I was like, okay, it's it's been three years. You're not progressing, you know, at all. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't think that this, you, you got to actually go into some, into a place or do something that will get you clean, will make you better, basically. You're, you're slowly killing yourself and you're killing us in the process because we're watching this happen and it's painful to watch you one day be totally happy and the next day be devastatingly depressed. And it's, it's really hard. I, I need you to be, you know, clean and to do better and... He was like, okay, I will, I will. And so he was determined, you know? But I um, I was like, okay, I trust you. You're going to, and it's going to be good. Well, then he came back, and this time he was trying to find a way to bring it back so that he could hide it at the house and do it there. Well, I have kids, and there is no way I'm ever letting that happen. So when he came back, I thought it was weird that he left the way he did, and I just had a hunch that something was off. So I was like, look, could you tell me why, like, could you just, just what's going on exactly? And I was trying to, like, fish for information to figure out what was going on, and he was being evasive. And finally I was like, look, I'm worried something's on you. I don't want you bringing it home. I don't want it anywhere near my kids at all, so you're going to have to go. And I'm sorry, but that's it. And I'm moving. The kids and I deserve, you know, a better life. We are going, and we're done. And that's it. I said, this is tough love. I love you, but I have to go. And so we left. And um, for a while, stayed with a friend who, you know, helped us um, so that I could get back on my feet financially. And it was just really hard because the whole time, I mean, I'm wishing that he's better and I miss him and, you know, all that. But at the same time, you, you have to, the kids have to come first. I have to protect them. I have to make them first. And... So that's that's what it was. And in a way, I'm also putting him first because I'm making sure that he gets his act together and does what he needs to do to be a person and, you know, continue going forward with life and doing all the things that he needs to do to be what he wants to be. And so that sort of tough love, I mean, it was a very painful experience, but it also taught me a lot about people and about just just in general, I think it, it was a very maturing experience. Because like I said, I lived under a rock before that. I knew nothing. 
And then I started, you know, when he was telling me in the beginning, he was pointing out stuff like, hey, look, when people do that, you be careful. Don't go near them. Don't stare at them. Don't look at them. Just don't, you know, when people are doing that, don't don't go by them. And so I started being able to see more about the world around me when I was with him. But then at the same time, and he taught me a lot when I was with him, too. I mean, there was a lot of um, he's he's one of those people that. He understands people, like he can read people extremely well. And he taught me about that. Um, I, you know, being completely honest, just I thought everybody was sweet and happy and carefree and didn't really understand that, you know, sometimes people could be actually just cranky and, you know, mean. And I, I didn't believe that. I thought everybody was sweet and everybody has a good side, which that I still believe. I think everybody has a good side still. But he just showed me that the world is bigger than what I thought, you know. Taught me some of the stuff that he knows, you know, that's like really smart. But then when I left, it was also a maturing experience because I had this idea of like, okay, when I leave, then he's going to be devastated. So then he's going to go and he's going to do everything right and he's going to get his stuff together and then he's going to come back and knock on the front door and be perfect and be ready for us and be clean. And, you know, I had this whole fantasy planned out in my head of how perfect it was going to be once he came back. Then I found out that he, you know, he was moving on. He he got clean, supposedly, and then he went and he got a job and he found this girl and was talking to her and started living with her. And I was like, oh, wow. And at first I was extremely devastated because of my crazy plan that everything was going to work out perfectly, you know. But then I realized, you know, it's not up to me. I can't, I can't be, you know, sitting there pining over somebody that, it's their life. They can choose what they're going to do with it. And I can't, there's nothing I can do to, you know, I could want as much as I want, but I can't force anything. I can't, you know, make something happen. And I started regretting. There was a time where he called me and he was like, look, you know, I'm clean. I'm doing better. Do you want to be with me? And I was like, I don't really even know you. I haven't seen you in person in a really long time and you know personally I wouldn't date somebody that I don't know <laughs> you know what I mean and so I was like I can't I don't know you anymore I would have to get to know you all over again because it's been so long and I stood up for what I believed in by saying that but when I found out that he was talking to a new girl I got super sad and I was like oh no maybe I should have said yes maybe, you know maybe I should have just dated him then because he's doing better now and you know, everything could have been perfect like I imagined. But then I realized, no, actually, I did stand up for what I believed in. And then he made his choices accordingly how he wanted to. And that's that's life. Unfortunately, that's what happens. And, you know, everybody has their own way of healing. They have their own way of dealing with things. And they have their own choices. And they have their own decisions to make. And that was probably one of the biggest lessons that changed my life you know, as far as this goes, was everybody is, you know, yes, we're all connected in a sense, but we are also all separate entities that can choose our own paths. And so it was just, it was a really big learning experience. And through it all, you know, there I was frustrated at his family because they didn't help me when I reached out to them. And 
but that's also my son's family. So I decided to go back there, and even though I hadn't heard from him in a long time, I decided to reach out, and I was in the area anyway, and I said, you know, can we get lunch sometime? Um, I asked his mom and dad, and well, his mom, dad, and stepmom, and I was like, can we maybe get lunch sometime so that you can see my son, you know, our son? And they said, sure. And so we got lunch, and it ended up being the most healing experience. Like, they started to get to know me, I started to get to know them, you know, on a direct, personal level. And it just, I had so much gratefulness and joy inside of me from establishing this relationship for my son. And it was huge. It was this, like, monumental growth period of just yes there was this bad situation and it was awful and you know going through it was really hard and I felt very alone and I reached out but we had like this forgiveness thing they forgave me and I forgave them and then the healing just grew and grew and you know during that time period was when he decided to go and get clean and he went into rehab and he got clean and it was just crazy how like everything sort of shifted you know I made the decision to go I was scared to go I was in that area anyway and I was like you know what I'm going to call them you know at least we'll have lunch it turned into us spending a couple weeks there and then we came back and visited for the holidays and our relationship just grew and I just think that you know out of all the stories I think this one is probably one of the most like incrementally you know growing like it just the most growth happened in the shortest amount of time because you know I'm very stubborn and <laughs> I was like I don't have to reach out to my son's family that's his dad's job it's not like it's my family and but then I thought about it and I was like you know but if it was reversed and I was going through things I would want my you know ex-husband or boyfriend or whatever to bring my child around my family. That's the loving thing to do. And so I just thought, okay, I'm going to do it. It's going to be scary, but I'm going for it. Did it, and it just, so much growth, so much healing. It was amazing. But yeah, I think, you know, for a while I was thinking about advocating for people that, you know, like advocating for awareness about, you know, drug addictions and, you know, I'm still thinking about learning more about it and advocating for that awareness because it's something that, you know, it's it goes on way more often than I think people realize. And it's it's such a it's, it's like a cancer. You know, it doesn't just drain the person. It drains their entire family and the people that love them and the people around them. And it's very painful. And but there is opportunities. There are opportunities for healing in all of that. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, the way that you imagine. But sometimes it can be completely different, but just as healing and just as good. <laughs> I'm on another podcast. I have a, a co-host a podcast called Scott H. Silverman's Happy Hour. And we talk about addiction and recovery and uh, how to handle that and what, you know, what it entails and things like that. And yeah. I think you're very admirable the way you handled that situation. Uh, it sounds like you were t total support for him and, you know, gave him as many chances as possible. And then you saw, 
you just had to do what was best for you and the in the children uh, yeah. in the end and, and and then go ahead and making that contact with uh, your son's grandparents uh, which which is also very admirable um, so I mean it, it's a beautiful story actually it's kind of tragic in a way but he's clean now he'll always be an addict uh, that will never change because uh, once you're addicted to something you're really basically always addicted you're just in recovery you're handling your addictions what's what's going on uh, so you know he, there may be a time where he'll relapse you know which is very uh, likely in the way uh, addiction and recovery goes you know especially uh, what, what was his drug of choice he started out when I when I first met him the first thing that he talked about was heroin and then when I left him I found out he was also doing meth and um now he's clean from all of it, which is huge. I mean, that's oh yeah. Those are the hardest too, from what I understand. So yeah, they are, they are, and and it's very dangerous with heroin because now they they're mixing it. With, some of them are, some people are mixing it with fentanyl, and that's yeah. highly deadly. So he's pretty lucky that he, he Actually, got out when he did. How many years ago was this? Um, this was, gosh, I mean, because it was three years that we were together. Um, maybe two years ago for three years. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the fentanyl thing because actually, the when I first met him, he, you know, we were talking all night and day, and you know, I thought he was the wittiest person ever. He's really smart, and now I also know he's very strong. But at the time, I just thought he was the smartest thing ever, and you know, was we were talking all night and day, and then he just like disappeared for a while, and you know, we were texting. I had to go, so we went from talking to texting. And then he just like stopped responding for five or six hours. And I didn't think too much of it. I mean, I had just started talking to him, you know. But I, you know, I was kind of curious if he was going to come back or what. And then he came back and he called me and he's like, I am so sorry. I cannot believe that I left you for like six hours. You know, I do really like you. It's not that I don't. I just, my friend just died. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? And he's like, yeah, this guy was like a brother to me. He was my best friend. And... You know, he he was telling me all about it, and apparently the guy, his friend, OD'd on fentanyl and um, heroin. And I didn't put it together that he must have been using two, that he's his best friend, because, like I said, I was very naive. I just assumed it was just his friend. Um, but, but, yeah, he said that that happened with his friend, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, we, we got together, and, you know, we went to church together, and I was there to comfort him through that and you know when we had our baby he said can we name him after my friend because that was that was my best friend and you know he he was my brother I mean I, I wouldn't even call him my best friend because he was my brother and he's like he he had so many good qualities and I know that the reason that he died is a bad quality he's like but the good qualities are something that I would like to pass to my son I want my son to be all the good things and at the same time, when he finally told me that he was on drugs, he said, you know, at the same time, it, it's, it's almost like you guys are my new life. And yes, my best friend died, but if it's the same name for the baby, it's kind of like, you know, it feels to me like you guys are my second chance and I want to have the second chance with a family could you know do you mind naming our son that and I mean I like the name anyway and I was like yeah but can we make his middle name after my dad and so we did that and it's actually really funny because 
his friend's name is Marcus, and my dad's middle name is Anthony, so we accidentally did Mark Anthony first. <laughs> that I, works. Funny, <laughs> but I didn't even realize it for the longest time. I was like, yeah, that's cute. It's I like, it's you know, it's catchy. And 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 he's like, he looks at me and he's like, you do realize that Mark Anthony? And I was like, oh my gosh, wait, what? Oh no! And I started second guessing the name, but we already picked it. And um, so I started reading up on Mark Anthony because I was like, man, you know, like that's gonna be his name forever, and <laughs> that wasn't even the intention. But, um, Sounds like it would make a good rap name, too. Yeah, Mark Anthony. Actually, the nickname that uh, his friend would go by was Kiss, which I thought was... I think it's cute, because instead of just, like, Mark for Marcus, you know, it was Kiss, because it's, like, the second part of the name, which I think yeah. is cool, like, to do nicknames kind of, like, different than the norm, you know? So. Very, very interesting. Uh, and I'm so glad that you have... You know that that turned out positive for you. Uh, now, now before when we talked before we started recording, you said you had several stories. So let's go ahead and do one more story, and then we'll talk about your acting and direct, uh, your film career, because uh, that's you know you're you're an actress. Let's go ahead and talk about one more life changing event story that you have, and then we'll go into your career. Okay, um, so let me go happier because that one was kind of <laughs> kind of more on the sad side. I mean, it ended up well, but, you know, it's more drama. Let me try to go for comedy. I was in middle school, and, you know, like I said, I was obsessed with school. I had a couple of my friends. Um, actually, I'm best friends with some of them still, which is incredible. Um, but, you know, so I'm in middle school, and I'm so excited about, you know, graduation is coming up in a few months, and eighth grade graduation, and, you know, I'm just like over the moon because I know that I've got good grades and I'm trying to keep them good and all this. So I hear my parents talking about moving and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, no, <laughs> what is going on? And I, I kind of just like keep to myself about it because I don't know if it's like a tentative topic or if they've actually decided anything. And I figure, you know, once they decide something, I'm sure they'll tell us. And so I hear them talking about Colorado and I'm like, oh, that's cold. And I hear them talk about Washington, and I'm like, that's also cold. And Oregon, and I'm like, that's interesting, okay. So they're trying to stay on the West Coast. Well, good, at least I'll be close to my friends. Because, you know, as an 11-year-old, you think that, like, well, I thought at least that space and time was not really a thing. So, like, if I'm in Oregon, I'm only, like, five minutes from my best friend, you know, who's in Southern California, which is crazy. But at the time, I didn't really see the distance as it actually is. So I'm like, okay, that's not too bad. That's not far. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, my dad sits us all down, and I'm ready for it. I'm like, okay, we're moving to Oregon. All right. You know, this is going to be fun. And he goes, so your mom and I have talked it over, and we decided to move to Texas. And I'm like, wait, what? Are you sure? <laughs> like, hold on. What? I don't know about this. And he's like, yeah, we're, you know, we're moving to Texas. Uh, we're going to go to Austin, which is similar to California in some ways. And it's cool. You know, they have this whole music scene and, you know, they're like the largest live musical capital of the world and they're incredible. And he's selling it up to me. And I'm like, wait, but like, okay, I guess. And I never really actually disagreed with them outwardly. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, wait. And then in my head, I'd be like, why? You know? So I'm like, okay, so we're moving to Texas. 
There's gonna be like horses and like cowgirl hats. I'm gonna need to buy some boots. Like I have bathing suits and and shorts and sunglasses that I wear way too often. And like what? Like I'm gonna have a whole wardrobe change. So I'm thinking about all of this and you know I'm telling my best friend and she's like, what is out there? Like what's even in Texas? Like I don't even understand. And I'm like, I don't know. So I'm nervous about going. Well. This boy that I had a huge crush on, Corey, like all throughout middle school, I thought he was the cutest thing in the world, and he would always like, you know, poke my belly and run away giggling, and he was just, he was adorable, and you know, he was the cool kid all the girls secretly liked, and so I found out that he was moving to Texas, and I was like, oh, wait, why are you moving to Texas? Because I'm moving to Texas, like what do you mean? Like what is going on right now? And so half the girls thought that I was following Corey, and the other half of the girls who actually knew me were like, okay, yeah, you're totally not following him, but that is kind of funny. You guys are totally going to get married one day. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, eighth grade conversations. So anyway, so he moved way before me. And then, um, so I was telling my best friend, I'm like, dude, I can't believe I'm going to Texas. And she's like, I know, say hi to Corey for me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, don't be silly. Well, I found out that I was moving to Austin and he moved to Houston. So, I mean, we didn't see each other anyway. But I thought I'd have a little more time to like get adjusted to the idea of moving. But it was it was quick. Like 8th grade graduation happened and you know, we were all super excited and my friend invited me to her house afterwards where we could have dinner and hang out and watch movies and my dad's like, "Actually, we're going to start driving." And I was like, wait, what? We're starting driving today? Like, I was so excited about this movie party thing. And he's like, yeah, we're starting driving late tonight, And um, but you can have dinner with your mom before you go. Um, my parents were split up, so my mom and I had dinner for the 8th grade graduation, and then my dad and stepmom, we went to Texas. Anyway, so I was like, wait, what? So. I had dinner with my mom really quick, and it was great. It was honestly one of the best dinners. I still remember it to this day. She took me out for sushi, we got green tea ice cream, and she just like, she was trying to make sure that I was super happy. Like she just wanted to make me have the best dinner ever. And she was trying to send me off in the best of moods. And it was really sweet of her. And I mean, I still, thank you mom. Anyway, so, so then after dinner, I caught up with my dad and my stepmom, and they're like, okay, we're going to get going. And so we start driving, and I, I had said bye to my friends too. I promised them that when I come back to visit my mom, I'd see them, and, and that we would talk on the phone every single day, which actually, one of my friends, she was like amazing at keeping in touch, and we did talk every single day, and it was just incredible. Um, Anyway, she's still one of my best friends. Her name's Gladys. She just every day would call me without fail. I cannot believe how good she is at keeping in touch. Anyway, so I start driving across. Well, I wasn't driving, but they were driving. And um, I started listening to music. And I actually, I fell asleep with my headphones on. And I kept, I must have like been sleep turning up the music like over and over again because I woke up to my brothers and sisters teasing me and singing the song that was on my, you know, iPad or whatever it was at the time, or iPod. Um, and so they were, they, my brother nudges me and I wake up and he's singing the song like really loud. And my sister, who's in the seat right above him or right in front of him, she's singing the song too. And they're looking at me like, turn it down. <laughs> like, what the heck? 
And so apparently in my sleep, I just kept cranking the music. So that was kind of funny. And so, so then we got to Austin and you know, the mover people hadn't brought our stuff yet. So we're sleeping on the floor in our bedrooms. And, you know, I plugged in my phone because, of course, that's the most important thing to me because I have to keep in touch with all my friends. So I plug in my phone and I put the music on and I fall asleep to Nora Jones. And I just, I remember, you know, listening to Sunrise for, like, just on repeat for, like, hours. And I finally fell asleep. And it was really comforting to me at the time. Uh, I mean, I still love the song, but anyway, so... We fell asleep on the floor. We had a couple weeks, and then there was this orientation for high school. And I remember walking in and looking around and just being like, oh, I'm so the new girl. Like, I don't understand the culture. I don't understand what's happening. Everybody says, y'all, I thought this wasn't a horse thing. Like, I thought that my parents had convinced me that it was not like what you would imagine. Like, it wasn't a Western, you know? It was just another state. And they have kids my age, too. And, you know, they're not all going to be, like, you know, from the West, uh, you know, like in a Western kind of thing, riding horses to school. But when I got there and I was at orientation, I was like, whoa, but you do all say y'all. And some of you do wear boots, but you make it look really stylish and cute. Like one of those, like, you know, photographs of some girl that has, like, boots and a really pretty dress on and, like, a hat. And I was like, y'all make it look really cute. And and I didn't say y'all yet, but I was sitting there like, this is weird. I still say dude. And oh no, they're going to think I'm so strange. And so that's, I didn't talk to anybody the first day. I was just nervous. But then I joined a church group there and they were doing some sort of presentation of, you know, a presentation of Jesus and so we had to carry this guy that was like insanely tall he became one of my best friends but he was really really tall he was like six foot one or two and we had to carry him and he was Jesus through the church and this one girl said she was teasing me about not saying y'all because I kept saying you guys and she's like why don't you just say y'all and I was like because it's you guys and she's like but I'm not a guy I'm a girl and so we're carrying Jesus having this conversation <laughs> And finally, we get to the end of the, you know, the little production we did. And he looks at me and he goes, where are you from? And I was like, I'm from California. And he's like, what? That's so cool. And so, you know, instant friends with both of them. Because I finally felt like I wasn't, you know, the weird ostracized one. And they actually thought it was cool that I was from California. So we became fast friends. We, you know, they still teased me about saying you guys. And finally, I was like, okay, why is you guys a problem? And she's like, because I'm a girl. And I was like, right, but it's still like you guys, like, you know, like, never mind, I guess. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm not a guy. I'm like, okay, so what do I say? And she's like, y'all, or, or, you know, you all, or all y'all. And I'm like, well, see, then it just gets confusing because when do I say all y'all and when do I say y'all? And, and she's like, you'll get the hang of it, don't worry. So a year later, we're, you know, just talking and hanging out. And I said, all y'all. And she's like, oh my God, you're finally a Texan. And I was like, wait, I've lived here for a year. What do you mean? And she's like, no, you finally said all y'all. You're officially Texan now. High five. <laughs> it, was just, it was really cute and funny. And I just thought it was great that she, you know, incorporated me into being a Texan finally. So 
the move itself was crazy because it was like, you know, everything changed in a matter of what, like a week and a half or however long it took us to officially get there. And we didn't have any of our stuff, so my room didn't feel like my room yet. And the only thing that was mine was my phone and my Nora Jones. And, you know, then eventually we started getting our stuff back. And my mom, my stepmom, I, I call her my mom too. Because, I mean, they both were there my whole life raising me. She surprised me one day. I went to visit my mom in California. And, I, you know, I had a blast. My mom always made my visits fun. And so I had a whole bunch of fun with her. And then I came back home. And my mom, my stepmom, she set up my my entire room with like this brand new bed and like this really cute Hawaiian flower, I think a hibiscus flower and like plumeria flower, brown and blue like bedspread and it was just it was really sweet of her. And she just she set up my entire room and it was like I felt like I had the coolest room ever. I was like I could invite everybody over and be so happy. I didn't. I only invited my friends, but it was like it was just it was that homey feeling where it was finally my home, you know? And so I started to get more comfortable with being in Texas. And then I ended up, I remember I started school and I was like, I was taking this psychology class and I started learning about like, you know, just different things of how about how we think and stuff. And I remember reading further because, I mean, I'm obsessed with learning. Like if you give me a book, I'll probably read it and then research more about it because I just love learning. So I started learning more about it and I got really interested in childhood psychology, like just the entire developmental aspect of it. And then I realized that me leaving right at 11 years old developmentally is like a huge defeat. Like, I mean, a huge thing to defeat because it's like you that's when you start creating your identity. That's when you figure out who you are. And I left and I went from, you know, California to Texas and all of my best friends, other than Gladys who called me every single day, were new people. They were all like, you know, it was this entire new realm of friends, you know, teasing me about saying all y'all and stuff like that. And I remember thinking to myself, oh wow, this probably could be something that's really hard. But you know, it's kind of nice because I have like states that are mine. Like I can say I'm from California and know what I'm talking about. And I can say I'm, I'm from Texas and know what I'm talking about. And that's pretty cool. And I also have like two entirely different sets of friends. I have the California friends and the Texas friends. And I just started to like really love the fact that I had two different worlds basically as a part of my world. And because I could also go back and see my mom um, for summers and winters and, you know, whenever I had a break from school. And then I was in Texas with my, my dad and stepmom whenever I was in school. So I just, at first, I was reading the psychology book and I'm like, man, this is supposed to be hard for me. And I thought about it and I was like, well, maybe it is. And I just don't realize it. And I thought really deep and I was like, you know, actually, I'm actually pretty grateful about this because I have the best of both worlds, essentially. And so, you know, I started just being really grateful about the whole thing. And then I ended up... When I got older, I was like, you know, when you're like 16, 15 and 16, then you're trying to figure out who you are. And, you know, that's like the biggest question is, what am I going to be when I grow up? And who am I going to be? And, you know, who am I now? And how do I, you know, basically minimize that distance so that I become who I want to be? And 
I started thinking about that in my high school years, and I was like, you know, I really never got a chance to identify myself because I was moved. And I started to get like frustrated about the move. But then I remember being grateful, and I remembered looking at that same book. I was, you know, I opened it up again, and I was looking at it, and I was like, you know, I was grateful for this before, and that's who I am. I'm somebody that takes a situation and makes it good, no matter what it is. And if I don't make it good just for myself, I also make it good for other people. And I was like, that's who I am. And then I was like, okay, well, how do I make that a career? Because that's not going to pay the bills. I mean, it's great, but it's not exactly going to pay the bills. And eventually, I'll move out of my parents' house and I'll have to pay bills. And so, how do I make that actually a career? And I realized that I'm so emotional. I'm so, you know, people say bubbly.、Um, and it's interesting because I'm actually an introvert. Like, I get my energy from being by myself. But I have a lot of energy to be outgoing towards other people and to really just love other people. And so that's what I always do. So people usually think I'm an extrovert, but it actually comes from within. And it's interesting because I'm sitting there thinking okay, based on who I am, I can take any situation and make it good. I'm super emotional. You know, people even say that I'm super sensitive and that it's too, too sensitive. And I'm like, okay, well, what can I. Do with that? Like, what can I do with who I've figured out that I am to make it into a career, to make it into something that I can actually provide for myself as an adult, but so that I can also better the world? Because I don't want to just like make my own little life and, you know, be able to pay my bills and do all the things like that and kind of just stay in my little circle. I want to actually impact the world and inspire people. So I'm like, how can I do both? And what in the world can I do? And I knew, you know, I'm a decent writer. I, I actually do really well with writing. And, you know, I'm thinking about this at the time. And I'm like, and I care about people. Well, I guess most caring professions. I could be like a nurse or a teacher. I'm really good with school. I love learning. So I started going into those things because they looked better to my parents, to whoever I was planning on telling what I was in the future. And I was like, that looks really good. You know what? I'm going to be a. A pediatric nurse practitioner, and I'm gonna then, when I'm done with that and I retire, I'm gonna teach everybody how to be one of those. And so that was my original thing that I was like telling everybody I was. But in the back of my mind, I was like, well, what do I actually also like doing? Because I don't wanna just put forth my best and give it out to the world. That's not it. There's more to it. I also wanna be able to dig inside of myself and be. Truly, passionately joyful about what I'm doing. So I'm like, okay, I'm a grateful person. Cool. I can make a bad situation good. Cool. I'm emotional. I'm like sensitive, I guess, which is part of being emotional. I'm really outgoing. People have come to me and said that I've changed their lives just by talking to them and emoting with them and caring about them. I've literally changed people's lives just by being me. How can I like exhibit this out into the world? And so I, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I can help my patients and that's cool and that's fun and I can work on that, but it's not really my passion, you know? Like, I don't want to fight for it at the end of the day. And so I'm like, what do I want to fight for? And I, I remembered being a kid and wishing that I could be an actress and just like, you know, watching movies and going, I could so do that. And I could, you know, 
I could show people that emotion perfectly and I know how to do that. And so in the back of my mind, this was still like, you know, poking me like, come on, Charlie, like, you know, you want to do this. And I kept it there because I was scared that people would be like, well, how are you going to make a living being an actress, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll stick with the nurse practitioner thing and then maybe I can just like act every now and then or act on the side or something like that. Well, then a couple years ago, I got really depressed and it was actually, it was around the time that I left the guy I was telling you about before. And I got really depressed and I was, it was right before I left him. And I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. I just feel like a dud. Like, yeah, I'm going to school for, you know, the nursing thing. And it's it's hard work, but I can do it. You know, I'm making a 4.0. I'm doing fine. But I just don't love it. And it's I never did. It's not like I loved it at the beginning. I loved the idea of it because I wanted people to hear that that's what I was. And I wanted them to think I was cool. And that's it. That's what I loved about it. And I love the idea of saving people's lives, of course. I mean, saving somebody's life is huge, but there was, you know, that's it. There was no real passion behind it. And so then I I was just really down and a friend of mine came up to me and he's like, look, I know you're depressed, but, you know, maybe, maybe you could think about it from a different angle. And I was like, okay, what's your angle? And I was all crabby and depressed. And he's like, well, if you could do anything in the world, anything at all, you could be anything you wanted to be, what would you be? And I was like, I'd be an actress, for sure, hands down, no questions asked. I would, I would do that forever, but how can I do that with kids? And he was like, well, why don't you go for it? Why don't you fight for it? Why don't you fight for what you want to be? And I was like, because I have kids and it's so hard with kids. I mean. I'm practically a single mom and how am I going to do this by myself and you know and I had all these what ifs and hows and I don't knows and all these things but he was like if that's your passion you should go for it and I thought about it for a while and you know at first I was like basically saying no because if I was you know a teacher or a pediatric nurse practitioner with my own clinic then my kids schedule and my schedule would be perfect and I could just be a mom until they're 18 and then I was like wait a second once they're 18 I'm gonna realize that I'm I don't have a life I'm not happy with my life I'm gonna want to go and be an actress and I was like so why don't I just do it now instead of wait until you know it seems like the perfect time and then go and try to be an actress when I'm older why not just go for what I want now and fight for it and you know fight to do good enough to where I can make a living off of it and that be what I do and so I started you know taking more classes I started auditioning for more things I started really going for it and then last year um, I had you know one of my first paying roles and I was like officially a professional actor you know and that's when I finally told my parents I was like hey guess what I'm an actor and this is what I do and you know they asked me they're like how do you how do you pay the bills and I was like because that's what I do that's what I get paid to do and they're like oh you're getting paid for it well good job at least you know that's what we were worried about we wanted to make sure that you were able to support you and your kids if you're supporting you and your kids and you're happy about it Miha that's heaven on earth go for it and that just like solidified it and I was like you know what I'm gonna keep going and then my grandmother I used to uh 
when I was a kid. I would come in her room and I would bug her to wake her up and, you know, come on, let's go play. And you know, I was real little. And um, she'd be like, okay, you know, go back to sleep. And she'd be like, just tell me about your dreams and so that she could get a couple more minutes of shut-eye. And I'd start telling her about my dreams. But then it would turn into this, like, crazy story. And I would elaborate and I would, like, you know, I'm not doing that now. I'm telling you what actually happened. But at the time when I was a kid, I would turn my dreams into like this magnificent reality of like just this entire new version of whatever. And now I write screenplays. And she was telling me the other day, she's like, I'm really proud of you because not only do you still have that heart of gold, but you are like literally doing what you were doing as a little girl. You're doing what's authentically you. And now it's kind of cool because you're using it to support yourself and your family. And she's like, that's fantastic. And so the support from my family has just been incredible. Um, but I just thought it was funny how, like, the experience of, you know, kind of not being ripped away. I mean, I don't want to, I don't blame my parents or anything in a bad way, but being pulled away from, you know, my childhood friends and my everything that was normal to me and being put in this new place at that age where psychologically that's when you identify who you are it it just it ended up being such a good thing for me because I was able to identify the deeper aspects of who I am not just the surface things like oh I'm a California girl or you know I'm a Texas girl or whatever so in a way that was like one of the you know it was a really impactful time in my life as well uh, since you uh, brought up both doing your acting and your uh, writing Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that. You said you were in a paid role recently. What was that role? Yeah, well, I mean, I was associate producer, and I was script supervisor, and I was also one of the extra nurses in Eternity um, that I think they're distributing pretty soon. The director told me recently that we're looking at Amazon as one of the distributors. Um, but that one was... I believe one of the first ones. Um, there were other, a couple smaller ones that, you know, they were like $50 a day as an extra, that kind of thing. But that was one of the bigger ones. So, I mean, that's one of the bigger ones recently. And then I had another one after that where I was like a gangster's wife, basically. And um, we haven't finished it. And I signed an NDA, so I can't talk much about it. But it was fun because it was like... You, you know, you look at the screen and you see this girl that's a gangster's wife and she's like got a red leather jacket on and, you know, undercut in her hair and like she's all badass. And then you have me who's like bubbly and like free spirited, I guess. And, you know, it's like seems like a total opposite character, which was really fun to play. Yeah, um, I, I've actually seen that red jacket on your website. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, with your writing skills, how do you approach that? Do you just come up with an idea and go for it, or, or do, you, or you read something and decide, well, I'm going to turn this book into a, to a screenplay, or how do you, how do you handle that? Lately, a lot of them um, actually are something where you know somebody calls me and says, hey, I have this idea, can you write it down for me into a screenplay? Um, somebody recently asked me to turn her book into a screenplay, um, so I was working on that for a while, and then. You know, right now I'm working on something that is somebody else's idea. He wants me to write it for him. Obviously, you know, he's getting the top credit because it's his idea. But um, I'm the one writing it, so I get a little bit of credit there. But when I'm writing something that's purely mine, oftentimes it's a combination of things. 
I never really just pick one thing and, and just go with just that. Um, because, like, okay, the most recent one that I wrote that I'm actually working on editing right now, it's called Backmasking. And it's basically about an epidemic. I wrote it last year, so I had no idea this epidemic was going to happen. But I wrote it last year, and it's about an epidemic that the cure is music. The idea came from, honestly, I had thought of this idea, like, years ago. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have, like, everybody be sick and then, not that part of it, and then have music be the cure? Because music is kind of an energy, and, like, you know, music cures me when I'm sad. I put something on, it makes me feel better, you know, that sort of thing. And if I'm angry, I'll put something angrier on and then get that emotion out and then put something happy on, you know? And I was like, music cures a lot of things. Like... You know, you even have people in hospitals. There was this person, when I was working in the hospital, he um, he was really down, and I put um, the TV on, a music channel, and he said it made him feel better. And so I was like, you know, that's a great idea for a movie. Like, just collectively, all those things that happened with me and just what I know, I was like, that'd be a really great idea for a movie. And, you know, it's an epidemic, so everybody's freaking out trying to figure out a cure, and then music is actually the antidote. And, you know, I thought that that would be kind of smart and kind of just different. So I started writing that one, and I'm working on editing it now. I kind of feel like if I turn it in, it, everybody's going to be writing about epidemics right now, and it's going to seem silly. But I know I wrote it before this happened, so I think I can just, like, live with that. <laughs> have, you, have you had a screenplay uh, produced yet? Um, yeah, we have a couple that are, I mean, in production. We have... A bunch of the, the Closet Game series, those are all like horror film shorts. I believe that we stopped because of the COVID-19 thing, but we should be starting back up again soon. Um, I think that that Real Z is joining with Morning Sun Productions to produce them. So it's going to be kind of like a dual effort with the indie companies. So as a screenwriter, are you on set for the production? Well, I'm, I've been a script supervisor also, and I can see reasons why you wouldn't want the screenwriter on the production, like on set when you're actually filming, because the script supervisor can advocate for the script, um, and if the screenwriter's there, they might be like, no, that wasn't my idea, and like, you know, try to like change things that is actually the director's job. I mean, I wouldn't mind being on set if, you know, if I wrote it, I wouldn't be the kind of person that would be like, no, it's supposed to be like this. I would just kind of let it go and let the director do his job. But I could see that happening. Like, I could see I wrote something and the director wants us to do it this other way. And I'm watching going, wait, but no, kind of like in my head, you know. I yeah, it's kind of, kind of your baby. Once you write something, you're very attached to it, I imagine. Yeah, so I, I think it's best to kind of just let everybody do their own role. Um... I mean, I could do it. I could be on set. But, you know, the script supervisor advocates for the script. So she or he would probably be like, hey, you know, don't forget this line. Or, hey, don't forget that this, you know, was happening this way. And then the director decides, okay, you're right. That's in the script. Or, right, but I'd rather do it this way. So, I don't know. I think I'd probably opt out. You know, if somebody wanted me to be on, I would. But if it was up to me, I would opt out just because I would rather... I mean, even my presence could make them be like, oh, I don't want to, like, change it. You know, I would rather them just own it, be the director, just do what you got to do and make it perfect in your way, you know? Let's go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and give your social media and your website? I know you have a website, 
And uh, and from the website, uh, our guests, uh, our listeners can link to your IMDb page to learn yep. a little bit more about your uh, your credits and what you've done. But go ahead and give your your, your social media if you want, and uh, I'll be sure to put all this in the show notes as well, so the listener can go uh, refer to the show notes to get the direct link. But uh, yeah, what are your social media and website? So the website is www.charlie-marie.com. So it's C-H-A-R-L-I hyphen M-A-R-I-E dot com. And um, you can link to Facebook on there and Instagram, I believe. But my Instagram is um, at charliemarie17. So, but I think you can also click on it on the website, too. Yeah, they're there. They're there. Okay. I remember seeing them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, if, do you have anything else you want to cover with your acting and film writing? There is something coming up soon. I don't know exactly when because we're just in pre-production, but I'll be in this one, they said. It's called Wicked Ally, and I think we'll probably be done with it like next year sometime. I'll tell you more about it as it comes closer and I know more details, but it's really cool. Lee Feathers wrote it, and he's a great screenwriter, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. And there's a couple other ones in the works. I just don't know how much I can say yet, so... <laughs> But I'll tell you more as more comes up. 